1: Welcome to Pet Panorama with your host, Dr. Julie Mayer. Your pet is often referred to as your best friend. Yet when it comes to their health care, sometimes we don't understand all of the options that are available to keep them healthy and living a good quality life as long as possible. In our program, we will explain and explore the best care possible, and we invite your participation as well. Now, here is Dr.
2: Julie Mayer. Well, well, well. Welcome, everybody, to Pet Panorama. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Mayer. And we are going to, um, last episode, we talked about um, therapy pets, service pets, and, um, like, emotional uh, support pets. So we're still on the heels of that conversation, which is also, um, this segment is called Pet Partners, so, uh, previously we've been talking about how we help our pets, and now we're going to talk about how pets help us handlers, humans, um, people with disabilities, etc. So, we're going to have a couple of call in guests as well, so that'll be great. And um, we're going to have Kathy Davila here as well. She's the publisher of uh, Phoenix Dog Magazine. So, she has some things uh, that she wants to share too because she meets a lot of people. Um, through her magazine. And it's a free magazine, by the way, uh, local in the Phoenix area. So um, uh, last episode, I I discussed the definitions of, you know, what is a service pet? um, What is a therapy pet? What is an emotional support pet? um, And we just have to remember that the the and what is a working dog. So the working dogs and the service dogs they basically get a lot of training, and their training is very specific to the jobs that they do. They may be search and rescue, they may be bomb, bomb sniffing, they may be, you know, drugs sniffing, or border patrol, um, and then even some other service dogs may be trained to certain people's disabilities. So if you know if they can't walk and they're wheelchair bound, or if they lost their sight or their hearing, etc. So today. Um, I want to mention some very important canines that, you know, that would be the military canines, border patrol canines, search search and rescue, of course. You know, 9-11 comes to mind, definitely. And um, other canines that help us um, protect us and, you know, their uh, government officials um, and also the, you know, the police canines so they're very busy and um, they put their lives at risk all the time and we have to definitely appreciate how much they uh, they help us so and why I want to mention this is because um, I've performed chiropractic work on a lot of these different type of of working dogs. Um, definitely uh, Chicago canine, um, the, the, the canine cops, they would bring their dogs in for chiropractic. Uh, here in Arizona, when I worked in Tucson at a vet clinic um, in Tucson, uh, one of my clients was uh, a border patrol officer, and I got to do chiropractic on his dog, which was great. Uh, we had great success. He would um, know when his female uh, German Shepherd would um, need my help because she wouldn't be able to you know, jump really well right back into the pickup truck. And they're out there for 12 hours a day working really hard, obviously under treacherous conditions and the weather, et cetera. And he knew when to bring her in. And I, I would do adjustments. It was quite interesting. Um, uh, when I met Bill for the first time, he, he told me, she will kill you. And I'm like, well, that's why you're holding her, and she's muzzled, and we're going to be just fine. And she actually, she liked her chiropractic adjustments, so, and sh- and they worked out really well for her, so she can continue her therapy. Also, I did chiropractic, like I said, with Chicago Canines um, and the, the police force. Um, and it's, you know, they're, they work hard. They work very hard. There's a lot of training involved. They're very expensive dogs, and they... Uh, all these officers want to keep them, you know, in the circuit because they spend a lot of time with them. Um, However, when they do get old and they do, um, you know, retire, then um, most of the time their partner, meaning their officer, usually, you know, adopts them. Um, But also there's um, the TSA will actually adopt out some of the canines. And some of these canines... They may have, you know, they may be retired because of their age, and they may have a little bit of arthritis or and such, or some of them are what we call flunkies. So I want to just read um, a little excerpt from. This is actually uh, from 2015, um, but everything stills uh, still applies. It's uh, TSA seeking people to adopt dogs who have retired or have not mastered the explosives training skills required to work for TSA. Um, so. TSA is looking for a few good homes for its explosive detecting dogs. Who didn't make it through the training program retired um, from the explosive detection business? There is no cost to adopt a TSA canine and I'm sure that's, that still exists today. The dogs typically range in age from two to, two to 10 years of age. Breeds usually include German short-haired Pointers, Labradors, German Shepherds, and uh, the Malinois. The dogs available for adoption were procured through to service as working dogs, and their breeds were selected for their elevated level of drive. That's very important. They want these dogs to be very focused and dedicated to their task. And thus, they're very active. So some are well-trained, others are not. Uh, Canines which were eliminated from the program typically have received some explosive detection training. I'm hoping that that wouldn't be that important in your household. Uh, most of the TSA dogs have lived in kennels, not in houses, and thus are not familiar with living in a home environment. All are spayed, neutered prior to adoption. So it's you know pretty important that they may need a little extra training to um, be comfortable in your own home. Uh, TSA canines that are available for adoption, they're located in San Antonio, Texas. That's where a lot of the training happens, and this training... Facility um, encompasses a lot of different kinds of working dogs, um, from military to TSA to police officers, um, so it's really awesome. Uh, facility and the trainers, and they are amazing and everybody works really hard. Um, and they, you know, you have to apply. You have to submit an application. um, You have to travel to Texas to pick them up. Um, Again, typically they are free, but, you know, your travel expenses and such, um, that's a different story. So people interested in adoption, they must submit the application, meet the requirements, and then photos and information of the dogs will be provided via email. The adoption coordinator will assist in identifying um, a dog that best suits e- each home and family. So you want to be honest on the application. You want to share. Do you have children? You know, are there elderly in the home? Um, how many hours do you work, etc.? Uh, applicants will need to provide a signed and notarized indemnity letter. Travel to Antonio, San Antonio, to meet the canine and travel home with the dogs at their expense. So I'm going to give you a website, and I could put this also on my Facebook and such. But people interested in adopting one of the dogs can contact TSA Adoption Coordinator via email at Adopta, it's A-D-O-P-T-A-T-S-A-K-9, spelled out C-A-N-I-N-E, at O-L-E dot T-S-A dot D-H-S dot G-O-V. So I think that's great. Um, This way, you know... They can go and retire and relax and have a decent uh, home and um, really recover from their stressful events. Uh, they definitely work very, very, very hard. Um, they love their handlers, they love their partners, and I, I think it's just amazing um, for them to, you know, to go to a home where they're very safe and comfortable and they don't have to work anymore. So very interesting on um the the canine program for the um, border patrol you know that obviously the border has been uh, in the news a lot lately um, but very very amazing um, you know just the dedication, the strength um, the the work that these dogs do and how how much you know how important they are. With their partners because they protect them as well. So I'm going to um, go over some things that um, are important to these uh, border patrol canines. Um, so they have the the they have the, again their canine training program, and they also have the Office of Field Operations. They kind of merged their two groups to make you know to just to create one official training program, which is good. Um, They integrated core curriculum, was adopted, combining the best practices of the legacy of both of these training facilities. Uh, Training has been appropriately customized to ensure that the unique requirements of both of these groups, the uh, the Border Patrol and the field operations, um, merged. And now they have customized their training so that both of those positions The dogs are trained specifically for the tasks that are involved in each of those positions. So again, the canine program is headquartered in El Paso, Texas, and it oversees two training delivery sites, um, Canine Center El Paso in El Paso, Texas, and the Canine Center Front Royal in the Front Royal, Virginia. So we have two areas, Texas and Virginia. Um, the, and it's called CBD for short, CBD canine program is critical to the mission of the Department of Homeland Security. So they're there for us, everybody. And it's very important. Um, We should pay attention. We need to pay attention to what is happening at the border and definitely what is happening to the pets, um, to these dogs, these working dogs that definitely work for us as well. And obviously, they're there to protect the homeland. So the primary goal of the CBD K9 program is terrorist detection and apprehension. The working CBD CBP K9 team has become the best tool available to detect and apprehend persons attempting to enter entry to organize and cite and carry out acts of terrorism. The K9 program's secondary goal. So they have two goals um, for the the bo- border patrol dogs. Um, obviously, it would be terrorists. But the second goal is um, to detect and uh, seize um, those individuals with controlled substances and other contraband that often is used to finance terrorist or criminal drug trafficking organizations. So they they have a lot to do. They have a lot of training. Uh, they're very smart, brilliant, and very powerful pets and working dogs because again when they go home they shut everything off and they actually go home with the family they go home with their handler and it's very interesting to hear the stories like I said when I was um, doing chiropractic on the on Bill's dog um Totally just like a regular German Shepherd hanging out at home. So it's so cool that they can have the family, but at the same time, you know, they'll work 12 hours a day in the blazing sun of Arizona. So, you know, kudos to them. Hats off to you guys. And again, if you're thinking about adopting um, these breeds, as we mentioned, um, definitely consider. uh, It'll be kind of fun. To adopt out a working dog that has devoted their lives to us, and then you could devote your life to them. And Kathy Davila has come in, and she's Going to join us on the show today. How are you doing, Kathy? Good afternoon. I'm
3: doing great. How are you, Dr. Julie? I am very fine. Wonderful. So what do you got going on today, kiddo? Oh, well, we're working on our May issue of the magazine. Mm. And being as your theme is dogs that help us, mm-hmm. wanted to come and share about one of the stories that's coming up in the May issue, which is a local group here in Arizona that trains dogs to be service dogs, but they'll train a person's own dog if that if the dog is qualified. Oh,
2: well, that's kind of cool then.
3: Mm-hmm. Then they'll know that dog very well. Yes, it's nice if you can take your own dog and have it be your service dog. Now, not all dogs will qualify, um, temperament-wise and ability-wise. You can't necessarily make a chihuahua your assistance dog to help you get up off the floor. But no, that's... <laughs> that. Unless it's a really big
2: chihuahua. Or you're very small. (laughs) Indeed. Or you just use them as a step stool.
3: How about that? That would work too, probably. Then they'd come see you for chiropractics. How about my goat? Uh, Do you think my goat could uh,
2: fit into the picture there?
3: Well, you know, as a therapy dog, maybe. Actually, I think there are therapy pigs and therapy horses.
2: True. And we are going. Thank you for segueing. We are going to talk... To Camelot, and we're going to find out some real cool things about, again, how the 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 pets, the horses, these um, service dogs and therapy dogs can work for us. Uh, so that's going to be fun. So we will have um, somebody calling in who's representing. That would be Mary's Mary. in. yeah, Mary's mm-hmm. calling in from Camelot. Yeah. So uh, we'll be able to ask her some questions, and you guys could find out all about how. Um, Horses, and then we'll have uh, Gabriel's Angels after her. And Connie will be calling in for her uh, f- for some questions about Gabriel's Angels. So, um, cool stuff. Very good. So, so talk about the Happy Tails mm-hmm. program, please.
3: Well, Happy Tails is a 5013C here in Arizona. And they will work with people to determine if their dog is eligible to be a service dog temperament-wise, then they'll also train you to train your dog to do that. A normal service dog that's trained by somebody else will run twenty-five to $50,000. If you have the dog or can find the right dog and have the time to do the training, you can get it done for almost about $7,200. Mm-hmm. So it's a big savings if you can do it yourself, plus you have that personal bond with your dog sure. already.
2: And you know them and you know their personality mm-hmm. and things like that. So that helps. Okay. Mm-hmm.
3: So the training is not quick, though. It's it's very intense. The dogs have to go through and qualify on different levels to do skills. The International Association of Assistance Dog Partner Guidelines say that a service dog requires a minimum of 120 hours of training for at least six months. That's a lot. That is. It's a lot of training on these dogs. A lot of
2: dedication. Mm-hmm.
3: In addition, they need to spend about 30 hours at a minimum in a public setting just getting used to uh, different settings and being able to demonstrate their skills in those settings. The way that Happy Tails works is their students will, and then the dogs, go to class once a week for about 15 months. So they really are, are trained to do a task of different things. And the dog's training is customized uh, to what the human needs. Nice it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful so the dogs will pass their canine good citizen test and their public access test prior th- to taking their test for certification so the tests are available in different places uh, almost every city will have them available it's the canine good citizen test is a AKC American Kennel Club test okay. and there are multiple multiple trainers locations, that have right yeah. multiple locations and multiple people are uh, qualified to do this perfect
2: well, that's great that sounds I like that idea, especially if you think that your pet is very talented um, as far as, you know, going to help you out. And you already established that bond, so you have that, you know, going for you. And then you can seek uh, your local uh, services, your local trainers who do hold these good citizen canine courses and such. And then they could get you connected to different Uh, people like the Delta Society is you know they Mm -hmm. also do some therapy dog training and such like that so so that's really important Um, we're going to get ready for our guest who's going to talk to us about Camelot so we'll be back after the break thank you
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Sometimes it just seems that nobody understands. There's one individual who can help. If you're living with somebody who faces challenges such as autism, Asperger's, or other exceptional needs, you'll want to tune into Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the Challenge. Together, we'll uncover a variety of solutions to the challenges faced by individuals, their families, and teachers. Listen live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Health & Wellness. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. It's time to experience Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio with host Rochelle McLaughlin. Each week, you'll learn about essential skills and knowledge to help you discover and create your own experience of health and well being. And learn to be empowered to take bold and loving action toward manifesting the life you long for. Tune in every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific and 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel.
1: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into to Pet Panorama with Dr. Julie Mayer. We want to hear from you with your questions, stories, and comments. Please call into the program today at one 866 Four seven two five seven nine two. that's one send your emails all week to dr julie at pet panorama at gmail.com that's pet panorama at gmail.com now back to pet panorama
2: all right hello welcome back to the show um we have a call-in guest, and I want to introduce Mary Hadsel. She's the Executive Director of Camelot Therapeutic Horsemanship. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Julie. I appreciate you having me. So can you just tell us real quick what you know, what is Camelot, and then I'll ask you some specific questions that I think the audience would like to hear, the listeners would like to hear. So go
4: ahead. Uh, what is Camelot? What are we? We are a curriculum based horseback riding program and we specialize in serving riders, um, children, and adults with physical disabilities. Excellent.
2: So, how many horses do you guys have in your program? We currently have nine horses in our program. And how do they become a therapy horse?
4: Well, the screening process and the training um, is rather expensive. Um, for, you know, every, every five or six horses that we do screen, only, only one might make it through that process. Um, our horses really have to display the disposition and the temperament to want to do the job. Um, work for horses in this industry can be challenging because our riders have, um, you know, with physical disabilities, there's a huge range of different challenges, whether it's Poor posture, poor core strength, um, you know, balance impairments, um, spasticity, um, possible you know, brain injuries can um, can cause riders to um, to have difficulty with motor control on both sides of their bodies. So our horses have to really be patient and uh, demonstrate the ability to to do the job and do and do it willingly. Sure, and I imagine that
2: you know, it's. The process could be long or short, probably depending on the temperament and, you know, the training that the horse has had prior. Exactly. And exactly. then then do you get, do you accept donated horses as well?
4: We do, um, but typically when we're needing um, a therapy mount, we go through the same uh, process that someone does when they're looking to purchase a horse. So we go out and... Um, Because our students are adults and children, we need horses that are tall, short, wide, and thin to really serve our diverse population. So um, the typical horse that's being offered up for donation is usually at the end of their uh, working career life. And owners are usually trying to find a home Uh. where they know that they're going to be well cared for and, um, and loved and doted on during those senior years the horses that come to the program need to be walk, trot, can, or sound and able to, to embark on a career. So the typical donated horse isn't, um, isn't going to pass our screening process.
2: Oh, I see. Okay.
4: Um,
2: and that makes sense. You, you have to be safe, and you have to make sure that uh, you're successful in your therapies, I would imagine. So Absolutely. So how many people... Then, if you can tell me how, about how many people do, you know, do you service or treat annually, and what what kind of people? I mean, are you able to discuss um, their oh, absolutely? Okay, yes. student population?
4: Yes, we because we offer private instruction. I am at capacity when I have twenty four riders on the schedule. Um, in the, we we offer services in the afternoons, Monday through Thursday afternoon. So six students will receive um, an hour-and-a-half-long private lesson working with their instructor. So two students ride per lesson spot. And sometimes we'll pair up, and we might do a semi-private for part of the class and, um, and individualized care um, for, for a portion of the lesson. But our students are going to come, and during that hour-and-a-half, they're going to be, be learning safe horse handling on the ground, grooming, tacking, riding, or driving, after their lesson, they're going to, um, with assistance with the volunteers or their instructor, they're going to untack their horse and clean them up and put them away. So it's a, a very well-rounded education that the students will receive. And our students, um, they have a, we serve a very diverse population, riders with hearing impairments, visual impairments, uh, brain injuries, stroke survivors, open head trauma survivors, MS, MD. VP, you know, wow. basically any physical disability um, that that you can imagine that's out there, we've had experience um, working with them in saddle. So, uh, question:
2: So that's a lot of disabilities. That's do a lot you of do you do you have horses that are specific? You know, they they really have a good um, attitude or mannerisms for you know
4: particular kind of disabilities? You know, that's a a great question. Um, We do, not all of the horses are great with all of our students. Um, We have some that are, um, might be more sensitive to riders that have spasticity. Um, And at the same time, that same horse that might be overly sensitive with one rider might connect on a very profound level with another student with similar um, body dynamics and that pairing works out very well. So it's no it's there's nothing nothing is ever set in stone um, but I find that the students and the horses, you know it takes takes several lessons before we truly determine who is the you know what the best pairings um, are. And then we just uh, we just monitor closely and let those relationships develop. That's awesome that it just
2: sounds like you can definitely. Support and help a lot of different people. So that's, you know, and, the, and we talk about dogs doing all this work and therapy and service, and it's so awesome to see other species that get involved in how, you know, these pets help us.
4: Absolutely. And I think because our program has our students really connecting with them on the ground, grooming and caring for them, that the emotional connection and that bond is is very strong. Our students will will spend, I mean, I always feel that the really profound magic takes place when our students are on the ground, not necessarily on their backs. And as a personally, as a horse owner, um, you know it's just that time, week after week, our lesson season runs from the end of September through Memorial Day, so our riders are going to be out for for months um, for their weekly lessons, so, so the relationships develop, and of course, there's going to be improvements in body mechanics, balance, um, core strengthening, all of those things that people typically think of as being the primary benefit of therapeutic riding, but it's that emotional-social um, connection that, that I find to be on a more profound level.
2: Definitely, and and even just learning horsemanship, uh, learning you know how to groom, how to take care. So I think just having that task, that job, is probably so helpful to a lot of these students um, because they have they have something to do. You know, exactly. they they have uh, responsibility, and they may Absolutely. have not had that in their life before. So it's really cool to be able to. They probably feel that there's a lot of trust, not just with the with the animal, but also with the staff and things like that. So, kudos that that's. that's it sounds cool. like a fabulous place. So, how do the
4: students find Camelot? Um, our typical writer, it has heard about us either um, by um, you know word of mouth or the or the internet, the website. We have a beautiful website, and it does a great job of, of getting our name out there. We we're a very small nonprofit. We don't charge for our services, um, so every every dollar that that we raise through donations goes to pay for the program and the care and upkeep of the horses. So I don't have an advertising budget, so um, it's you know that that makes it a little bit challenging. However, I can only at capacity. I can only serve twenty four riders. So it's really important that the students that are seeking us, that need us, that want us are. Avid, avid Horse Enthusiasts, and um, we get uh, we get a lot of referrals from people that are participating in the program, do a beautiful job of sharing sharing the word, and that's how, how riders come to us.
3: Wonderful, Mary. This is Kathy. Um, thank Hi, Kathy. Hi, thanks for sharing one of my favorite groups. <laughs> um, hey, and if someone wanted to come find out a little bit more about... Uh, Camelot Therapeutic Writing School, um, with, are they able to drop by?
4: Um, I love giving tours and sharing the facility, um, but I always ask for them to be done by appointment. We take our um, students' safety and privacy very seriously um, during um, during student lessons, so our students are not on display during classes. So tours are conducted either in the morning or um, on the weekends, um, but, it's, but it's by appointment.
3: Wonderful! And what part of the Phoenix area are you in?
4: We are located in North Scottsdale. We have a we have a big open house coming up um, soon, and and these days I've been telling people it's a great time to come out and see the facility. And, um, and kind of see and learn more about what we do. Oh, great.
3: Well, and I know you have your Hooves and Heroes event coming up. Is that the same open house you're talking about?
4: Yes, ma'am. Yes, oh, ma'am. Wonderful. We're on April 22nd. And what kind
3: of activities could your guests expect to see and find?
4: Oh, well, we're going to have a lot of fun games for, for kids. We've got face painting. Um, kids will be able to build pool noodle horses, and we've got noodle horse races scheduled We have um, four different riding demonstrations planned, so a total of 13 of our students, so half of our student uh, base is going to be riding and performing throughout throughout the afternoon. We have three different food trucks coming to provide incredible food and lunch opportunities. We will have adult and children beverages, a silent auction, a raffle, um, all kinds of fun stuff going on. That sounds like a fun day. It's free admissions, open to the public. Nice. And yeah. Want to just encourage, encourage listeners if they've ever thought about, um, you know, wanting to volunteer and becoming involved with the program, or if there's any listeners that uh, think that our services might be might be just right for them. It's a great time to come out and, and learn more about us and and come see us. Come through the gates. That sounds fantastic. I might. I got
2: to put that on my calendar.
4: <laughs> please do. Please do. You've been through our gates. You know um, what a what a magical place this facility is, and um, love to have you back out.
3: Yep, it's a wonderful place.
4: So,
2: when um, how you know how old are these horses? Uh, like, what's the oldest horse that you work with? And then, what happens when you retire?
4: We have a great retirement program for our horses here at Camelot. Currently, our oldest is oh, that would be my horse who's working in the program. That's Cliffy. He's <laughs> twenty-three. Um, we had uh, last May we we said goodbye to the oldest that was in our program, and we had a Percheron cross that that passed away at the age of thirty-five. When when he retired, um, he became we kind of kind of. Uh, likened him to a Walmart greeter. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> he would, hilarious. He'd wander the property, we'd open up his stall in the mornings, and he'd go out and uh, he'd meet and greet volunteers as they were coming in in the morning and um, meandered, entertained himself during the morning, and then in the afternoons during lessons, he'd be used for grooming and um, walk along with us on our property trail rides with our students. And <laughs> so his role changed, and you know once they're... Once they're at that point where um, teaching and carrying students on their backs is no longer the right, uh, the best decision for them, they get to stay involved and, and be loved and cared for, and they'll, they'll live out their days here on this ranch. Oh, it's, that's so awesome. It's, um, it's our responsibility when they come in, and after serving and teaching and working in this program, it's, it's our responsibility to care for them. In uh, their senior years, absolutely,
3: and it's a wonderful way for a horse to retire, Mary.
4: Oh, it's uh, it is rather remarkable, and yeah. and, do, and the students don't stop benefiting and and getting uh, getting really special rewards from our seniors, yeah. and it's uh, it's a population where where many horse owners are looking for places where they can go to live out those last years, but but our our seniors have a lot to teach yeah. still. Nice. And, uh, and their gentleness and their kindness, uh, just uh, look at new ways that they can contribute.
3: Absolutely.
4: And Mary, and, uh, if... And I think I was asked what our what our student age is. Our minimum age is seven, mm. and we don't have an age limit, so I have riders up into their 70s. Awesome,
3: That's wonderful. And how about your instructors and your trainers there, Mary? Are they... Is anybody able to do that, or are they all horse people, or can... occupational therapists come volunteer?
4: Well, um, our instructors, because we are teaching writing lessons, our instructors do have to be certified. Um, Ideally, they're certified through PATH, um, which is the professional organization that kind of establishes the safety parameters for this industry. Um, Some of our instructors have come in and they've had CHA um, certification or have um, graduated through various um, equine programs, so they have a good, solid teaching background. That's really critical. Our students are here to, to gain an education, so it's important that our instructors are knowledgeable in, in teaching. And the physical therapists, we do have several that come and volunteer, so it's fun to kind of incorporate some of those specific exercises that can target Muscle groups that might need a little more direct attention, but um, but we do not offer hippotherapy. Um, we are we are strictly a recreational therapy program. That's
2: so wonderful. so you wouldn't have a PT come in, you know, with with their patient and pair up with a horse, correct? Correct. Okay. Correct. So that would be your hippotherapy there. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Got you. But it's awesome
4: what you're doing. That's fantastic. Oh, thank you. So, um, I do have a volunteer who is a um, was a student for many years, who is a therapist and is also certified through PATH, and she works very closely with um, with me with a couple of my students, and so we're able to do a very nice blend. Um, um, with one young writer, or she's not a young writer; she's a, she's an adult, but she's new to the program. She's been out for oh, I think she's had her fourth fourth lesson. And Marsha is working very closely with her, and she um, is is getting an education now that's more PT related. But she's also learning the parts of the horse, the tack and equipment she's using. So we still incorporate that educational component because that's that's really very very important to us. That's you know that ties in directly with our mission statement. Perfect.
2: Well, Mary, thank you so much for coming on our show and. Uh, if you could just leave us with your um, website and any contact, phone numbers, et
4: cetera, for the uh, listeners, please? Yes, absolutely. I'd be delighted to. Our website is www.camelotaz.org, and we can be reached by telephone at 480-515-1542. Um, for anyone that's interested in coming out and seeing the facility and uh, coming out to spend April twenty second with us while we celebrate our um, our spring gala, our website does have our physical address on there. So perfect. Okay.
3: I well, want to say thank you, Dr. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it's so great to talk to you. Thank, well, thank you, Kathy. Absolutely. Thank you, Mary. And I look forward to seeing you on April twenty second.
4: Oh, fantastic! Thank you. I look forward to it too. The hooves and the heroes. Hooves and heroes. All right. All
2: about. (laughs) That's so cool. All right. Thanks, and and good luck, and keep doing all that good stuff that you do, Mary. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, we we have uh, our next guest on hold, and after the break, we're going to talk to Connie. Um, So that's awesome. Are you going to go? I will. Let's Would you call. like to go? Hell yeah. We're on. Come on. <laughs> we're on. I, I just, I, I love hippotherapy. I think that's fantastic. And we're going to talk about some other things. Um, Connie is going to visit us in just a few minutes after the break. Thank you.
1: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand
0: 24-7. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms, and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo. to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
1: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness you are tuned into to pet panorama with dr julie mayer we want to hear from you with your questions stories and comments Please call into the program today at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Send your emails all week to Dr. Julie at petpanorama at gmail.com. That's petpanorama at gmail.com. Now, back to Pet Panorama.
2: Welcome back, all you pet lovers. Um, So we have our other special guest today with us, and this is Connie McNeil, and she is uh, part of the therapy team for Gabriel's Angels, Um, and Connie, it says, just retired in January. Yes.
5: Hi there, Dr. Julie.
2: Hi, how are you?
5: I'm great. How are you doing?
2: Good. So have you been with Gabriel's
5: Angels for quite some time? Well, yes, and what I meant by that was that I am still a staff member with Gabriel's Angels. I've been, excuse me, part of the organization for seven years. Nice. And my dog and I just retired, uh, Sam, I retired him in early January from his. Uh, duties as therapy registered therapy dog, uh, because he he's reached the uh, age of 12 and he's a Rottweiler. So he he was ready for a little bit of rest because he'd been a therapy dog with me uh, in Gabriel's Angels for six years.
2: Excellent. So tell me, what is Gabriel's Angels and how did it come about?
5: Okay, so Gabriel's Angels has a very heartwarming story on how it became uh, Gabriel's Angels. Our founder Pam Gaber was volunteering uh, twenty—I'm sorry, seventeen years ago—at the Crisis Nursery, and during that first year that she was volunteering there, she. Um, was telling the children about her puppy that she had acquired, a puppy named Gabriel. And so she would go into her weekly visits with the kids as a volunteer, these little two-, three-, and four-year-olds, telling them about Gabriel. And so finally around the end of the year, because they were always asking her, how's Gabriel, how's Gabriel? And the end of the year, she decided to bring Gabriel, with the permission of the executive director, to their holiday party. Uh, When they came to that holiday party, uh, an amazing thing happened. It was almost like magic. These little children who are normally, you know, crying and fighting and unhappy, uh, when they saw Gabriel come into the room, the whole demeanor of the entire room and the children changed. They became kind and sweet and interactive with one another. And it was, it was so powerful that at the end of the visit, the executive director asked Pam if she would bring Gabriel back. And when she left that day, she said, of course, you know, I will. And when she left that day, she realized that, you know, what had happened. And she started looking for a group that did uh, volunteer pet therapy with at-risk children, and there was no such group in the In Arizona, Hmm. so that's when Pam decided that she was going to start Gabriel's Angels.
2: So, what kind of dog was Gabriel?
5: Gabriel was a Weimaraner. That's so, amazing. I know. Pam thought so, too. <laughs> Usually they're goofy and,
2: you know, they're the
5: ones creating the chaos in the room, right? Exactly. And I'm sure Gabriel did some of that as a puppy because she would tell the children how he would eat the bed. And, oh my and God. You know, the, the typical response from at-risk children that come from uh, trauma backgrounds was, well, did you hit him? And, you know, Pam would say, oh, of course not. I just got a new bed. Gabriel is my (laughs) friend. That's
2: hilarious. That is amazing. Awesome, awesome. So what has been
5: your experience with with your team? Well, I've really, um, it's been such a rewarding experience. And when I realized uh, as a staff member that I could, you know, I had the opportunity to become a registered therapy team with my own dog because of his temperament. I, I jumped at it, and we spent about four and a half to five years visiting uh, the same place. We went to a therapeutic group home for teenage girls, and probably because I raised two girls and they were you know, long gone from my house, I really had a connection with teen girls. I loved them, and Sam was just... Um, amazing with those girls and we would you know all of our teams go out twice a month they commit to a schedule to go visit the facility that we match them up with uh, twice a month and so it's just a very rewarding experience to spend time with kids that come from you know very uh, sad and traumatic backgrounds and to see what the dogs uh, can do for them.
2: I can just imagine and it's got to be you know, again, working dogs and the humans involved—it's stressful. There's time commitments. Um, the, you know, everybody's alert, so you're working. I mean, you guys are working as a team, um, so you have to make sure too that you're able to decompress and the dog's able to decompress. You know, so that there's no um, uh, illnesses or any you know colitis or anything pain that can actually you know come from that. So. So are you, you know, are you able to have some downtime and, you know, be able to um, c- kind of
5: move on from your from your sessions? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think that most all of our volunteers, and I don't know if I mentioned that we have approximately 185 registered therapy teams in Gabriel's Angels. These are all volunteers, you know, that are registered with their own personal dogs. And then we have uh, about 65 other volunteers that we call Helping Hands that we match up with some of the therapy teams that need them the most to meet them on their visits, and they help support the team. They're the other advocate for the dog uh, and just help with activities with the children. But, yes, we we stay in very close touch with all of our teams and our volunteers to make sure that they are, you know, emotionally fine, and if they need our support or our help, then we're out there with them.
2: So, um, because, you know, I have to ask... The medical part. I am the doctor on the show. Um, so, do you do um, veterinary checkups and such? You know, do they need clearance? Do they need, oh, you know, yes. the 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 vet's approval? Uh, vaccines. Tell us about that a little bit.
5: Yes. Well, in order for a volunteer to become a registered therapy team, they go through a complete process and evaluation with one of two national agencies. Uh, So we don't do any, we have nothing to do with them becoming a registered therapy team. Ah. They go through either Pet Partners or Alliance of Therapy Dogs. Nice. And it's a process, you know, with the veterinarian, they have to have a health screening, and then they're evaluated by those agencies for their temperament and their uh, their sociability, um, how social they are, and predictable with their temperaments. And, I mean, really they're looking for social butterflies, dogs that really love to be around people and children, and that are very, very stable in their temperaments.
3: And do all breeds, are all breeds eligible or will yes. they qualify?
5: Yes, that's a great question. All breeds are eligible. If we have some pit bulls in our uh, therapy team uh, rank. We have, you know, Rottweilers. We have little chihuahuas. We have English Mastiffs and pretty much everything in between. So if a dog. You know, and their handler, because they're evaluated as a team. If they can pass the evaluation, and they know basic obedience skills, and then I'd say the key is that the volunteer really wants to commit to a, you know, a schedule. A ded- they're really dedicated to go out twice a month, and they have to love children and want to help these kids that need, you know, the love, the unconditional love of a dog so very much.
2: Uh, what about goats? <laughs> You know, we don't have any
5: um, goats, but we do have four mini horses in our. No, program. Re- seriously,
2: that is. <laughs> yeah. That's great. All right, that, that is, is awesome. Great.
5: Yes, and they are amazing. And the mini horses that we have in our program have all come. They've all been rescued by their owner, and they've all come from really almost abusive, you know, situations. And I wish you could see. Those mini horses with the kids—they cool. are yeah. simply amazing.
2: <laughs> that is so so cool. It uh, is because they're hilarious. They're fun to watch. You know what I mean? And they—they're different because
3: they're mini horses. So how exactly. how fun is that? Yeah. And Connie, are the kids that you guys serve—are they kids who are in like the foster in foster care or
4: out of yeah, the homes?
5: That's a great question. Um, they're not in, actually in foster care. So basically the kids that we serve, we have about 130 partner agencies that are really partners with Gabriel's and Angels. And these kids, um, they come from, you know, backgrounds of, like I said, neglect or abuse. So where we visit are, like, domestic violence shelters uh, homeless or family shelters, residential group homes and treatment centers uh, we we do some particular schools that uh, you know or maybe Title I schools and have a population of kids that are at risk backgrounds, and then they pull a group of children together for our pet therapy program that maybe really need the pet therapy the absolute most and we will see those same kids, like, through their entire school year. Oh, wow. Uh, the thing, the thing that, that our program is really all about is is that we are helping the children to develop healthy core social behaviors that are really crucial to, you know, having a normal childhood development um, and be successful as an adult. Uh, the core behaviors that we focus on with the children through activities are like trust and attachment, empathy, respect, you know, self-confidence, uh, working with each other, and tolerance, so we do that with the kids in a fun manner of, you know, fun activities, them, you know, engaging with the dog or the mini horse, listening to their heartbeat, brushing them, helping the handler to walk them. So it's a real trusting, bonding experience for the children.
3: What a gift to give these kids that really need our help.
5: Well, it is. You know, I think that I can speak for um, all of our volunteers, uh, Dr. Julie, that all of us feel like you know we get as much from these visits as the kids do. It is such a reward for us to know that you know the animals that we love and that we're partners with can actually go out there and make a difference in these kids' lives.
2: Well, Connie, I got to witness that relationship definitely very personally because uh, Jeanette Wood, she she wanted to be a guest uh, this evening but she's partying. Um, oh, now, uh, she's, having, her. she's having a house party. Uh, so Callie, her her dog is um, actually uh, very well known with Gabriel's Angels, and oh, yes. right and yeah, uh, absolutely. And I happen to be her holistic vet, so I love them too. Uh, our sessions are wonderful. Kelly is just amazing, amazing. This dog has the best temperament ever, and she's beautiful. She, does. she has a lovely coat. And, you know, she's getting older, and we're all concerned, but we do acupuncture. We do the underwater treadmill with her. Uh, she's on supplements. We, we have blood checks. So it's, it's, it's awesome to see those two. Awesome. I love it. So that's why we wanted to share, you know, uh, your services and Gabriel's Angels with our listeners, because it's, all of this is amazing stuff. It's, it's, it's yeah. so and, awesome. And-
4: I
5: totally agree with you. Uh, Jeanette and Callie are just superstars in every capacity, not only for Gabriel's Angels, but for all the therapy work that they have done, you know, in the community.
3: Connie, uh, there must be a lot of need for Gabriel's Angels services in the community. Um, how are you guys accepting new teams, or how does one get involved?
5: Yes, thank you. Um, we do, we have an information session every month here at our office where we have anywhere from 12 to 20 prospective volunteers come in it last one hour, and we go over the process of, you know, becoming registered as a therapy team with your pet as well as what it's like to work with the population that we serve uh, and just, you know, Any questions that they have, that's the first step in them becoming a volunteer. And all of our volunteers have to have their Department of Public Safety fingerprint clearance card as well because that is a requirement by the agencies that we're partners with because they're, you know, working with children. So I would say, you know, we we think our average tenure for our volunteers is about two years, but we have volunteers like Jeanette who have been involved with us for 10 years, and then we have, you know, those volunteers that maybe have to leave after six months or so because they move, or some volunteers just say, you know, this wasn't the right opportunity. But all in all, with 185 therapy teams and 65 helping hands, starting you know 17 years ago with just Pam and Gabriel we have definitely grown and we want to continue to grow because we feel like there's probably another seven or eight thousand children out there that we want to reach currently we're we're helping about 14 thousand six hundred children every year with our program
3: wow that, that's that is fabulous lot. it is that's a big impact on our community
5: yeah and yeah and it's you know we everybody that's involved in it, it's that mission that we love, you know, helping the kids to develop emotionally and help them with their, uh, to really enhance the quality of their life and to learn how to trust, you know, a dog and another person.
3: And it's got to be very rewarding to be there when that that moment of magic happens when you see the child open up to the dog and um, and, and it, is, it is
5: amazing, and there's so many stories I could tell you. I wish we had the time. I would like to tell um, the listeners if they're interested to really see um, from a child's perspective the most poignant thing I think I've ever heard a child say. If they go to YouTube and just hit, you know, go into Gabriel's Angels and then hit, um, also add the word Trey, T R E. After Gabriel's Angels, it'll pull up this one-and-a-half-minute video, and it's all from Trey's perspective. And, of course, we had to have, you know, photo release to, to create this video. He was probably about 13 or 14 at the time. And when I first heard that, saw this video that we made of Trey, even I, you know, brought, had tears in my eyes, and I've been in the field with these children seven years. So wow. it, it, he just summed, he summed it up completely.
3: Wow, that's fabulous.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, We're going to uh, let you go now, but we really appreciate it. I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you, Connie. We're going to wrap up the Pet Panorama right now, and everybody vote for the next segment, and you can do that at petpanorama at gmail.com. Have a great evening, all you pet lovers. Bye-bye now.
1: Thank you for being a part of Pet Panorama this week. Be sure to join Dr. Julie Mayer for another edition next Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now, enjoy the weekend with your best friend.